baseball fans, welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There's no off-season, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on the 19th day of April 2018 from Sully Baseball Studio in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Hey, It's been fun being a Red Sox fan this year, and I swear to all you, I'm not just going to sit around and gloat, because it's early. It's early. A lot of bad things can happen, but I will say, I will say, it is never a bad time of the year to win 15 out of 17 games. There's never a point in the years that, ah, I wish they didn't win 15 out of 17 at that point. You know, I wish that were the case. When the Royals lost a doubleheader, were swept in a doubleheader the other day, they lost as many games as the Red Sox have this season so far in that one day. And the thing about this that's been fun for me is that the Red Sox got off to a great start. They lost the first game, and they, they, you know, they beat up Tampa, and they beat up Miami, and people were saying, like, well, you're playing shit teams. And first of all, yes, but here's the thing. If you want to win, you're supposed to beat the bad teams and hold your own with the good teams. And I'm like, all right, well, they're doing step one. And I said, oh, well, let's see what happens when they play the Yankees. And they beat the Yankees two out of three times. And they said, all right, well, they're facing a red-hot Angels team. They have to go all the way to Anaheim. And the, the first two games were just annihilations. And just immediate just sort of blowouts. And it doesn't matter what the Red Sox do today because when you go into a contender's home ballpark, the goal is to what? Win the series. Hold your own. So if they lose today 48 to nothing... They've already done their job, and off they go to Oakland. So, yeah, it, they're, they're on pace to win 140-some-odd games, and I'm going to make a bold statement, and that is I don't think they're going to win 140 games. But that being said, it's always good to look up and say, hey, my team's 13 games over 500, and it's not even late April yet. It's good to build upon a good start. Now, we're starting to see that some of the teams that got off to kind of clunky starts are starting to right the ship. You know, the Dodgers have now won four games in a row, and I think their 8-9 and nine record is somewhat deceiving because think there's, there's at least three games off the top of my head that I can think of that they lost where they had the lead either in the ninth inning or an extra inning. So it's basically... You know, a bounce here or a bounce there. If if Andrew McCutcheon doesn't foul off a bunch of pitches or if a play doesn't happen at the plate, the Dodgers could very easily be, what, like, uh, you know, 11 and 7 right now or something like that. So the Dodgers are going to right their ship. Um, it looks like St. Louis and, and Mike Matheny may be saving his job right now. It looks like St. Louis is going on a really solid winning streak. And catching up with Pittsburgh, who has, you know, Pittsburgh's off to a nice start. I don't think they're going to maintain this nice start. I think St. Louis is, you know, right in the ship a little bit. The Cubs have been a little clunky. 
we're starting to see you know Washington and the Mets played a bananas game yesterday and the Mets are holding their own against Washington these are important games it's important to start off well if you want to be a surprise team. And if you're a team where you're like the Red Sox are saying, okay, you want to be a playoff team, but you want to take a step up, it helps. It helps that J.D. Martinez is starting to hit the ball, and it helps that the Yankees got their asses handed to them by the Miami Marlins, and that the Yankees are going to be playing Toronto, and Toronto has been playing quite well. They're on a four-game winning streak themselves. I'm not going to go all in busting on the Yankees and everything. And, and, you know, the fact of the matter is Giancarlo Stanton is having a horrible start. There's no way around the fact to say that his start has been nightmarish. When you talk about like, oh, well, you hope the pressure of the city and blah, 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 blah. It has been a nightmarish start for Giancarlo Stanton so far. I mean, there's, no, there's no other way to call it. His OPS is 7.02. He's he's slugging 4.09. He has those three homers, but two of them were in the first game of the year. Remember, you know he's bat. He has struck out 29 times in 75 plate appearances. In 16 games, he's struck out 29 times. He's walked seven times. I mean, he's he's been uh, he's been bad. For two weeks. Really bad for two weeks. And he's going to come back around. He's not going to be a 197 hitter. He's not going to finish the season with a, uh, an OPS that's 300 points lower than last year's OPS. That's just not going to happen. He may not be... The 59 home run hitter that he hit last year, which is one of the reasons why I found it to be so bizarre that all these people say, like, oh, we'll, we'll judge and Stanton combined for 100 homers. No, probably not. Probably not. But here's the thing. This is Stanton's ninth year. He's a solid player. He's had some injury issues in his career. He's really played three complete seasons in his entire career. He'll get his hits. He'll get his hits. And eventually the fans who are booing him like crazy will turn around. He'll eventually hit 30-some-odd homers. Some of them will be big game winners, and he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Gary Sanchez, who's off to a terrible start, for the Yankees. Remember everyone saying, hey, who you know, Sanchez may be the most valuable player on this team. You know, Sanchez is off to a horrible start. Terrible start. Do you know what? He's a talented player. He'll turn it around. He'll turn it around. Judge is off to a terrific start. You know, Gregorius is off to a, a MVP caliber start. And Severino is looks terrific. Where I would be worried if I were a Yankee fan, is how ordinary their bullpen is. Batances may just stink now. Sometimes relievers fall off a cliff. Batances may just stink. All right? Uh, Robertson, I'm not that impressed with. Chad Green has pitched pretty well. Um, Chapman has been okay, but not great. 
you know, but we're if the Yankees bullpen is merely ordinary and other than Severino, their rotation's not been great, and Sabathia's coming off the disabled list. And when you have 37-year-olds coming off the disabled list, that's a moment to be worried about. I would be a hell of a lot more worried if I were a Yankee fan about the pitching staff than on Giancarlo Stanton, which goes back to how I felt in the offseason about the Stanton trade to begin with. Yes, it was a big, huge splash to acquire the National League Most Valuable Player, but they needed more pitching depth. And what if Tanaka stinks now? You know, I mean, Tanaka, what's his ERA? His ERA, he's, he's, you know, in four starts. It's only four starts. His ERA is over six. But he did not look good against Miami the other day. And Sabathia is coming off of an injury, so you don't know what he's going to be. And Sonny Gray has not looked good at all. Small sample sizes, I know, but this was the problem going into the season, I felt, was their pitching depth. And people say you could rely on their bullpen. Well, if their bullpen is not as locked down as people are saying, and their starting rotation is not that great then acquiring Giancarlo Stanton was never the solution. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not saying this as a gloating Red Sox fan. I'm saying this as someone who likes good baseball and I think having a healthy Red Sox-Yankee rivalry is good for baseball. And... I, the, the, the attention is going to be put upon Stanton because he was the big acquisition during the offseason. But the fact of the matter is, he'll, he'll correct himself. The back of his baseball card is pretty consistent. He just happens to pick the, you know, his slumping two weeks to be at the front. So it's accentuated. You know, J.D. Martinez started off with a couple of bad games, and now he's putting up great numbers for the Red Sox. And so he looks like, oh, he's a great pickup. He's a better pickup than Stanton. Well, you know, it may even out. But what may not even out is the Yankee pitching situation. And if I were a Yankee fan, and I'm not, but if I were, that's what would make me really, really nervous right now. If you can't rely on Tanaka and Sonny Gray and Sabathia and the bullpen is not locked down, I don't care how many MVPs you get. You're, n- you're not going to go far. Do, the Red Sox pitching has been fantastic so far. Do I think it's going to keep up at this pace? No, but, you know, Porcello, Sale, and Price are all off to terrific starts in their rotation, and their bullpen's been pretty dang good. If the Red Sox starting staff is better than the Yankees starting staff, then they can acquire all the sluggers in the world they want. It's not going to make a lick of difference. So, look it. And some people are going to blame Stanton, and some people are going to blame Aaron Boone. I Look it, Aaron Boone has made some questionable managerial decisions at this point, but I'm not going to blame him. I don't think he's lost these games for them. I think a questionable pitching staff 
and uh, offense that is inconsistent. But it's easier to pick on the two new figures, Boone and his lack of experience, and Stanton having never played in a big market before. So we'll see what happens. I would love to see the Yankees fall on their face. I don't think they will. I think, they, I think they'll right the ship. But the ship needs to be righted not by Stanton's bat, but by the arms. And that's what makes tonight's game a critical game. It's so foolish to say critical games, but it kind of sort of is. A lot can happen to pitchers when they have already celebrated their 30th birthday. Sabathia celebrated his 37th. Betances is over 30. Sonny Gray is approaching 30, as is Tanaka. Now, it's not like, I mean, there are pitchers who go on and continue to be fine pitchers well into the 30s, like Sabathia, who had a fine year last year after his coming back from injury. But if you can't rely on it, it this is a critical start to see, is Sabathia a pitcher you can hand the ball to every five games for the Yankees to have this so-called great season they were going to have? Okay, let's talk about the other thing. The other thing is we woke up this morning and Brian Price was fired of the Cincinnati Reds. And I'm going to give my thoughts on this because I talked about Brian Price the other day. Do I agree with the firing of Brian Price? Yes, yes, I do. Do I think they should have fired him now? Yeah, actually, I do. The reason I think they should have fired him now is because I think they should have fired him after at least the 2016 season. I didn't think the Reds should have had him manage the team last year. So, and I've seen nothing that makes me think that his presence as a manager is going to help the team this year. So if you keep him on the team, that's the, the what's that, the... the Sunken costs fallacy. They say, well, we've already spent this much time. We better keep handing him the keys. I don't think he's the right manager for the team. Now, I think they should have let him go, as I said, after certainly after the 2016 season. Absolutely after the 2017 season. And there is nothing they learned in the first 20 days of the season that they didn't already know in December. But I can't sit here and say they should have let him go in the offseason and then be like, ah, why are you doing it now? I mean, you're doing it now because, you know, I don't think he should be the manager. And maybe they thought, well, what if we get off to a fast start and they didn't and they let him go? But you know what? Even if they got off to a fast start, they don't have the talent to win the division. Now, if they had done this in the offseason... When you had managers like Joey Cora, managers like Dave Martinez, interesting managerial candidates were floating around. And the Reds could have said, you know what, Brian Price, you've had four years. You inherited a team that was a consistent contender between 2010 and 2013. And yes, they've had injuries, but they've also... He's not been a good manager. Lest we forget his crazy rant in 2015, where it was mainly remembered. I did a whole podcast on this, and I reposted it on Twitter for those of you who didn't hear it when I did it back in 2015, back when I was doing this as the Daily Podcast. 
He went on this wild rant where he dropped the F-bomb 90 times or something like crazy like that, where he was berating the media for reporting, asking questions about the availability of players, especially uh, Devin Masaraco. Is that how he pronounces it? I can never... I, I, you know what I'm talking about. They're all star catcher. And he was saying, what... what how does this help the team? What are you doing that's, that's helping the team? And he was talking to the media as if the media's job was to be the propaganda for the Cincinnati Reds, like they were advanced scouts, like if they were reporting on things that they shouldn't report it because it wouldn't be helpful to the Reds organization, as if the beat reporters are employees of the Reds, which they're not. And it kind of was a sense of, do you even, do you understand the dynamic of partly what a manager is? He seemed like a guy who was unhinged and over his head. And I've seen no evidence since that day in early 2015, in April of 2015, three years ago, I was like, geez, I don't know if this guy should be managing the team. And I'll tell you who's, who deserves a big, big apology letter is Mr. Dusty Baker. Yes, Dusty Baker is a bizarre in-game manager. We all know that. Anyone who's watched him manage knows that he makes strange decisions. Do you know what also happens when he arrives with your team? You win! He took the Giants to the World Series. He took the Cubs to the National League Championship Series. He got the Reds to one swing from the National League Championship Series in 2012. If that foul ball by Scott Rowland doesn't hook and it goes into the stands, the Reds are in the National League Championship Series. And twice took the Nationals to one swing away from the NLCS too. Granted, he's not a great playoff manager. He's not an in-game manager who you look at and what a great you know, strategic manager. They win under him. They won under him. And they were bad immediately when he was gone. Part of me wants the Reds to hire Dusty Baker right now as an apology. I think, you know, what, what Price did, he inherited a team. A lot of injuries happened, but do you want know injuries happen to every team? He has one of the best offensive players in the game in Joey Votto, MVP, putting together a potential Hall of Fame career. We have two of the best offensive players of the decade are Mike Trout and Joey Votto, and neither one of them can get to even the league championship series. But I digress. Price showed nothing I mean, by 2015, I'm thinking, this guy shouldn't be in. He manages all of 2015. All, he, 2014, you give him a mulligan. They, they had injuries. It was not a good year for them. 2015, well, I don't know. 2016, Jesus, is this guy still the manager? 2017, he's still the manager going into 2018? Yeah, I'm fine with him firing him. Because I don't think he should be the manager. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. They should have fired him in the offseason and, and taken a flyer on, you know, throwing your hat in the ring for Dave Martinez. Throw your hat in the ring for uh, uh, Joey Cora. 
See if someone's available who's a better choice to at least take you in a different direction. Or if you're going to go in the direction which a lot of the rumor mills have right now, that he may be going for a Barry Larkin, who, you know, like like uh, Aaron Boone, has no managerial experience, but is a obviously a Hall of Famer, MVP, native of Cincinnati, would be the sort of thing that you would get the, the season ticket base fired up. And they say, hey, I'm going to bring my winning style to Cincinnati. And I'll say something. Whatever manager winds up replacing Brian Price as uh, the permanent manager is going to be on a really, really positive uptick because they've already started the rebuilding process. Price is already unpopular manager. And so there's going to be an inevitable uptick that they can take the credit for. Now, the interim manager, so what we're stuck with is an interim manager in Jim Riggleman. Instead of saying at the end of last year, thank you, Brian, you've had four years, you've had a presidential term as the manager of the Reds, we're going to go in a different direction, and then you build a team. You build a team with a GM and a manager, and you put together the team, you go through spring training you get into the field. That's what's so bizarre to me is that they went through all this with Price as the manager. Let's put our team together for the year. Let's report to spring training. Let's have opening day. Let's start the season. Two weeks later, now we're going to go a different direction. If you were going to do that now, you could have done that in the offseason. Can't put the toothpaste in the tube. Can't keep them there for the sunk cost fallacy. But now you have Jim Riggleman who's the Ted McGinley of managers. Ted McGinley, for those of you who don't know, is an actor who kept showing up on shows when they're on their last legs, like Happy Days or The Love Boat. That you could, he was like, whatever show he was cast on were a show that was one time popular, that was just really rickety, and we need a new actor to throw, and suddenly Ted McGinley shows up. He was a grim reaper of television shows. And you look at Jim Riggleman, you realize Jim Riggleman has managed, this is now, it will be his 13th season as a manager. It's either, either part of a season or a full season. He's a manager of the Padres for basically two seasons and a, and a handful of games. He was a manager of the Cubs for five years. He's a manager for the Mariners for half a season. And he was a manager of the Nationals for basically two and a half seasons. And of all those years, one trip to the postseason with the Cubs, and of the full seasons, he managed uh, two winning seasons, 1995 and 1998. That's it. And 98 was 20 years ago. So in 20 years since he's managed a winning season, and he keeps getting gigs as interim manager or as a replacement manager, because he's just like a body. He's just behind glass. In case of emergency, break glass, and out comes Jim Riggleman to manage your team. Generic manager who has a long managerial career with one trip to the postseason. Chris Chambliss could never get a single shot to manage a team, but God bless Jim Riggleman is always available to manage. But he's not a long-term solution. 
and they're going to try to find a new manager to be a long-term solution. But that's just like bizarre. It's like Jim Riggleman was on the coaching staff already. So if you want him to manage, why don't you give him the job? Or all right, I can't. I can't go down that road. We can't reverse back time. I can't be Superman, spin the earth backwards, and change things. This is something the Reds should have done after the 2016 season, and they're doing it two weeks into this season. It's the right move that should have happened earlier. So now what's going to happen? Assuming they're not going to apologize to Dusty Baker and give him his job back, as Dusty Baker is now part of the Giants organization. There are some names that are bubbling about. As I mentioned, Barry Larkin. Barry Larkin would be the, the, the crowd-pleasing moment. You know? And who knows? He might work. Paul Molitor has turned into a fine manager for the Twins. You know, would that be something? They hand the, the keys over to Barry Larkin, and Barry Larkin, who was the big star on the team when they won their last world championship in 1990, wouldn't that be something? Barry Larkin side-by-side side with Joey Votto. The Reds are back in it. If they go in their uptick, he'll be the feel-good story. There are two other names that are coming around that one is already there in their, in their front office, and that's John Farrell former Red Sox manager, who was the manager of the 2013 World Series champions and eventually kind of sort of lost the team last year and he was let go and brought in for Alex Cora, who was uh, so far so good. And another name, which is a name that I find very intriguing, is Joe Girardi. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to sound weird But bear with me. For both Girardi and John Farrell, a trip to Cincinnati as their manager could be the key if either one of them has aspirations to be a Hall of Fame manager. Bear with me. What is one thing that Joe Girardi and John Farrell have in common? They have managed a World Series champion in the American League. If one of them takes over the Cincinnati Reds and the rebuilding process is a success and they wind up winning a World Series in Cincinnati, then Farrell or Girardi would join Sparky Anderson and Tony LaRussa as the only managers to win the World Series as a manager in both leagues. Now, the idea of John Farrell being a Hall of Fame manager, I'm sure, makes several Red Sox fans' heads absolutely explode at this point. I'm sure if Dusty Baker had wound up winning a World Series in either San Francisco, Chicago, um, uh, Cincinnati, or Washington, he would be a Hall of Fame candidate as well. Again, heads exploding. Girardi is a more interesting case for the Hall of Fame for this reason. He was a manager of the year in Florida when he had no budget and kept the team in wildcard contention for most of the year. He went to New York, won a World Series with the 2009 Yankees, and then showed he was a very good manager. He drove a lot of people batty. He wasn't as cute and cuddly 
as Joe Torre was. And he didn't win as consistently as Torre did. He was more George Seifert to Joe Torre's Bill Walsh. But Girardi was a very good manager. And some of those teams that he took to the postseason were not very good teams. I know that sounds counterintuitive because many of them were big-budget, high-profile teams. But a lot of them were not well put together. And he still managed to drag them across the finish line. The team that he took to the postseason in 2015 as a wildcard team, that was a wonderful managerial job on his part, as was last year. I think last year was one of his best managerial jobs ever. Why the Yankees didn't bring him back, I don't understand, because it looked like he was putting together something really great with a new nucleus of you know Bird and Sanchez and Judge. That was a lot, you know, I didn't like the team. I'm a Red Sox fan, but it was a, a for Yankee fans, it was a team that they could embrace. Homegrown players, fun, you know, fast-paced games they were playing. It was an exciting brand. And he did a wonderful job taking that team to within one game of the World Series. And they let him go. Now, if the Yankees disappoint this year, it'll just increase Joe Girardi's profile. Because it was like, ah, they made a mistake letting Joe Girardi go. He was putting together something. He nearly had a pennant winner before they brought in Giancarlo Stanton. And if he takes over the Reds, he'll have a little bit of a leash. He'll have a little bit of leeway. And they've already made a bunch of trades you know, the Cueto and Frazier and some of the other trades that they've made to bring in young players to their system. And if this team turns around, becomes a playoff team, becomes a pennant winner, and wins the whole kit and also the caboodle under Joe Girardi, then his one year in Miami, his championship in New York, and the many postseasons in New York, plus the success in Cincinnati, would put him in the Hall of Fame. And if I were Joe Girardi, I would think long and hard about that. Joe Girardi's from the Midwest. He's from Illinois. But Cincinnati should really be one of those great regional teams. It should be really the team of Southern Ohio, of Indiana, of Kentucky. It should be a whole region like that of a bunch of cities and a bunch of, like, Indianapolis and, and Louisville and Nashville should all be places where they're watching Cincinnati Red games, much like all the cities in New England watch the Red Sox. And to a degree, all the cities in the, in the Pacific Northwest watch the Seattle Mariners. It was very interesting being up in the Northwest, seeing how the Mariners have a following in Spokane, in Portland, in Pullman. So with all of this in mind, the choice for the Reds, I mean, if they go John Farrell, look at, I'll always love John Farrell because he managed a world champion Red Sox team. I wish him luck. And if he winds up winning a World Series with the Reds, I was like, hey, look at that. Good for him. Seems like a good guy. The choice for the Reds is really twofold. And it's nothing to do with Jim Riggleman. It's, do you want to have the beloved star to sort of 
bring back that Cincinnati championship pride and the native-born son and all this with Barry Larkin, which may turn out to be a great success. Or do you want to get the legacy candidate who is putting together what could be the ultimate chapter of a Hall of Fame career of which he would be able to develop the team and develop a champion in Joe Girardi? And at this point, I could... Those are my two main candidates. All due respect to John Farrell, Boston Strong, you know I love you. I'm glad you're no longer my team's manager. And the fact that I say that, and you know, despite the fact that he, a championship he won in 2013, back to back division titles in 2016 and 2017, I, you know, I, utmost respect, he, I just didn't feel comfortable with him as a manager anymore. And I feel very comfortable with Joe Girardi as a manager, who I think is an outstanding manager. And I think Barry Larkin would be an interesting choice and could turn out to be, as I said, similar to what Paul Molitor was. Or you could do Dusty Baker right and give him another shot. With that not happening, look at Larkin, look at Girardi, Make the choice that you should have done last offseason. Imagine if they signed Joe Girardi in last year's offseason and tell Reds fans, hey, we got ourselves a champion manager. We're going to put a championship team behind him. Boom! Hey, this is the Barry Larkin era. Come buy your tickets and support the Barry Larkin era. Boom! Instead, boom? Well, they had to do it eventually. They did it now. Okay, Cincinnati Reds, let's not have the Jim Riggleman era go on for much longer. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Giving advice to the Cincinnati Reds. This has been Sully Baseball for the Sully Baseball, not Sully Baseball. No, not Baseball at all. The 19th day of April 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.